Good morning, afternoon, evening. In San Francisco, it's still morning. How's everyone? Awesome, good. So I'm going to start off with a question for you guys. How many of you would like to be happy in life? Let's see. Good, 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 good. Most of you, and some of you don't have your translators on. Okay, keep your hand up. How many of you would like to be happy at work? Raise your other hand. Okay, most of you, okay. Okay, good. So those of you who raised one hand, right, we want to be happy in life. That's where we're typically supposed to be happy, but we're not so sure about work because work is a place where traditionally we go to make money, to go home, to buy the things that will make us happy in life. It's a place where we put aside some of who we are so that we can con contribute to a larger good and get along. And for most of us, it's actually some place that we punch in and punch out and that we are looking to get away on the weekends. But for those of you that raised both hands, why not? Work is one third of our lives. That's about half of our waking hours that we spend at work. Why do we separate the two? If we are happier at work, can we be happier in our lives? Can it improve the quality of our relationships, of our success? Can it make us better people? So that's one of the things that we're going to challenge today. But first, how did I get here? Who's Sunny from Delivering Happiness? So I was just a girl, like anyone else, I wanted to be happy, but I didn't think about it very much because there was a formula that was already there for me. Work hard, get into a good college. Once you get into a good college, do some internships so you can get a good job, and you're doing that so you can be successful, so you can make money, and then you'll be happy. So I went to a private university in New York City. I was fortunate enough that my father had the money to send me there. And I was very excited to get out. I was excited to have a job and make a difference in the world. So I showed up to the office on the first day of work in Manhattan. And I rode the elevator up to the 34th floor where I got out and I went and I sat at my desk. And the air was a little bit dry. Everything was kind of gray around me, but I wasn't sure if that was just the norm, so I hung in there for a little while, but pretty soon I noticed that it wasn't just the air that was dead. The people there were dead a little bit as well. In fact, the only time that they seemed alive was when they were talking about the weekend, and I realized that people were at work in order to escape work, and that didn't make any sense to me. So much to my father's dismay, I left that job after two weeks, and I went into restaurants. I waited tables, and then I bartended, and then I turned to wine, and which made my dad a little bit happier, actually, because he likes wine. And then I became a sake sommelier. I worked at places that felt alive to me. And then I got a little bit tired of that, and I went to magazines. I worked at a couple of magazines. I thought this might be interesting and fun and fast-paced, but I found it a little bit empty. I was selling advertising space and writing restaurant reviews, um, gaining weight um, and feeling competitive. And then I started working in startups. I worked in about three startups. They also felt alive to me. I was looking for something that would connect me to something that was more important than just going to a job every day. And that was a little bit better for a while, but I noticed that I was running a lot. And as you can see, I like running. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, but right around this time in life, uh, I started running half marathons, and then I started running marathons, 
And then I started running 50Ks, and then I ran 50 milers, and then I got into a 100 miler running across the mountains in the Sierra Nevadas. And I was spending all of my time running until finally I got injured, and I had to stop cold turkey. And I got a little bit depressed. And I realized that I had actually been running away from work. All this thought put into work, and I was trying to escape it myself when all that I had was work and I didn't have my running. So it was right around that time that somebody gave me this book. It was a CEO of another startup, which I wasn't sure about working in another startup. Um, they were brand new, and it was called Delivering Happiness. They asked me to come on board, and at first I was like, I don't know. I don't have such a great track record with work. I don't know how to help people be happier at work. But I read the book, and I realized that I could rewrite my story of work, and I could help people to change their experience of work by bringing a little bit more happiness there. So I'm Sunny. I'm the coaching and culture chief at Delivering Happiness, which means that I lead the work team, and I help them, I help us in, use happiness as a business model in organizations, and I also guide our internal culture. So how are we walking the talk? What, what does our culture look like? That's what I do there. And I'm a runner. And why do I tell you that? Because I don't separate the two. Traditionally, we do. You leave a little bit of yourself at the door for the greater good to go into work. But this was a turning point for me. When I stopped doing that at Delivering Happiness, when I started to bring more of myself to work, when I started to travel and go for a run right in between talks or meetings, that was when I started to come alive more as a person. I started to know myself better. I started to understand where my passions were, and it opened up my happiness more, and I had more to give at work. And all of a sudden, I realized that I was becoming a lot more successful in many aspects of my life just by bringing a little bit more of myself into work. So at Delivering Happiness, we don't really believe in this concept of work and life separation. Why should you leave part of yourself at home? Those are your ideas, too, and that can be maybe some of your best ideas. Sometimes my best ideas are out there on the trail. That's a trail in San Francisco, where I live, in California. And I wrote this speech and the one earlier today, and I write our content, and I plan how that we're going to help organizations use happiness as a business model when I'm on the trail. So why don't we give that credit as well? So work-life integration. Here's a couple of pictures of the work-life integration and what it means to me. It means working with my team, conducting workshops. It means going running. It means having an all-hands meeting with the team. Um, it means go for, going for a run again or stepping outside when I need a little fresh air. Um, it means planning our team calls. Those are our weekly all-hands calls. That's my role as the culture chief. Um, we do something called Positive Peaks, where we think about something positive that we've done that week and we share it. Or Maybe we go disco roller skating after our all-hands meeting, which we really did. And maybe you can find me in that picture. So back to the formula. If we do look to some experts, I want to see what they have to say about it. Bonnie Ware is a palliative care nurse, and she cares for people in the last 12 weeks of their lives. And as she was caring for people, she started to hear over and over again some similar regrets things that they would have done differently in their lives. Um, and she found that they had some am amazing emotional clarity when they were at the end of their lives looking back. So she wrote a blog about it. It became so popular that she put it into a book. And these are the top five regrets of the dying. 
One of them is that I wish I had worked on what made me happy. I wish I had spent time doing things that made me happy. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. They found that they hadn't really expressed who they were, but they didn't realize it till the end. I wish I had stayed in touch with friends. In the end, when they looked back, they saw that so much of life was about relationships. I wish I had let myself be happier. This one, of course, is great. They realized, but not until the end, that happiness is a choice. And they had to die knowing that they hadn't chosen it sooner. And I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others had wanted of me. They spent their time wrapped up in the dreams of what other people thought was important for them, other people's dreams for them. So what will your eulogy be? If, if it was tomorrow, what would they say about you? What are we choosing? Are they going to say, yeah, Sarah, she was the most expeditious emailer. We really loved her. Or are they going to say, Sarah followed her heart. She was happy. She had passion and purpose. How do we change to the I wish to and I lived? So how can I rebuild my happy world? How can we find our little pieces of happiness? Maybe not with looking as ridiculous as I do. Basically, there's three types of happiness. I want to give you some of the science to use as a framework for you to carry forward in your own way. The first level of happiness is about pleasures. And this is the one that a lot of us are following. I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I get. And this formula is pretty simple. I can give you guys all a piece of chocolate right now, and you'll be happy. But not for very long. The next level is passion. And this gives us a little bit more longevity in our happiness. Most of us have had the experience of passion in our lives. We've been um, working on a, planning a wedding, or um, we have a hobby that we're really passionate about. When we apply this principle to work, it's called flow. The same principle at work is when you're so invested in what you're doing that everything drops away from you, and you almost lose sense of time. If you've ever had a project like that and somebody's trying to get your attention, you barely want to get yourself out of it. And Mikhail Chekinsmihai is a creator of this concept. The rumor goes that if you tried to say his name five times in a row, that you'll be in a state of flow. And the third type of happiness is higher purpose. Higher purpose is being connected to something that's more meaningful, that has more purpose than just ourselves. Few things are more fundamental to our experience of life than purpose. But it's not something that we're taught in school. It's not something that we even think about that much. Most of the time when we think about purpose, it's because we're in a pickle, we're unhappy, or something's happened that's challenged our values. But what do you feel that you were put here to do? When do you feel most connected to yourself? Is there a cause that makes you feel connected? So. Maybe you're thinking right now, okay, passion and purpose, and that's the way to happiness. That seems like a lot of work. Gosh, and it's true because we're not taught about those things, and we don't always think about them. But just remember that every master was once a disaster. It takes practice. And my favorite one, be true to your weird self. Because the more true you are to your weird self, and the better you know yourself, the more in touch you'll be with your passions and your purpose, and the more of yourself you'll be able to be in your life, and the better opportunity that you'll have to change the I wish to an I lived. For example, 
It erases fear. When you can be yourself all the time, you're not afraid if you're doing something okay. People will start to validate you that they appreciate you for who you are. Builds confidence and self-discovery. I love exploring, and few things are more fun to explore than ourselves, really. Builds culture, real culture between friends, and it builds authentic connection and real friendships, the kind of friendships where you don't have to pretend to be someone else so that you don't get to your eulogy wishing that you'd live a life more true to yourself. For example, I like dogs. I like big dogs, and what I like about them are their jowls. <laughs> I want to just like grab them, and if there's saliva on them, I don't care. I like them. They make me happy. <laughs> that is something weird about me um, that I'm true too. If I see a big dog on the street, I will run up and I'll ask if I can pet him, and usually big dogs are friendly, so um, sometimes I'll even nuzzle into their jowls. I know that's really weird, but it's something that makes me happy. So let's try. I want you guys to give that a try. Think of something weird that makes you happy. And if it's something that you've never told anybody before, then that's the one you should go with. So get something in mind. Got it? Got it? Now turn to the person next to you and share. What is something weird that makes you happy? Tell them your name, something weird that makes you happy. For example, I'm Sunny, and big dog jowls make me happy. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Good job. Good job, you guys. I see most of you did it, about 90%, I would say. How do you feel? Do you feel a tiny bit happier? Yeah, it only has to be something small. Because happiness is not like a silver bullet. It's not one huge, giant change that we make, and then we increase our happiness so much. It's little things that we practice. It's choosing to practice the little things. It's choosing, in each of these small situations, to go with something that's more authentic to ourselves, or that's an intent over an impact, or forget over forgive. These are all little things that we can choose. And you guys just create a little bit more connection between yourselves which is another key ingredient to happiness as well. So, two more tips to leave you with. Happiness never decreases by being shared. We have to get in touch with our own happiness to understand who we are so that we can be more happy in life, but we have a better chance of exploring that and discovering it when we share it, and when we share it, we increase it, because happiness spreads. Happiness is an emotion. It's like language when we share it. Another tip. Go with giving over receiving. I know that that seems, well, it seems a little um, bit like Buddha's quote, actually, but when we're receiving, there's a little bit of happiness involved in that when you get something. But science shows us that we receive more happiness for a longer time when we're actually giving. It makes us happier as well, and it helps other people out. And you can pat yourself out on the back and be like, oh, I'm the kind of person that gives people things. So, um, one more thought for you guys. Start small. This is the wall in Tony Shea's apartment. Tony Shea is the CEO of Zappos.com. Um, he is the founder of Delivering Happiness along with Jen Lim. And he's working on a new project called Downtown Project. Has anybody here been to downtown Las Vegas? Oh, all right. Now, not the strip. Okay. <laughs> downtown Vegas is a little bit dilapidated. There's uh, some homeless people down there, and um, there's, no, there's no resources for people to live. This is the wall in Tony's apartment, and every one of those stickies 
starts small. Each one is an idea for a business. They're going to fund and build a city in downtown Las Vegas based on similar principles of delivering happiness, around happiness between people. So you take it from a company, how to use happiness as a business model, to delivering happiness, a social movement, and helping other companies use it, now to a city. How can we do the same thing there? And these are some pictures of how it's turning out to be. It's amazing. I was just there a couple of weeks ago. So remember to start small, and that it's a choice, and that we're always choosing, we're always choosing to go with happiness, or we can be choosing something else. And what will your eulogy be? And together, let's create change in the world more than we ever thought possible with happiness.